Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. On WTMJ. Know the difference. It's Team Tech Trust. It's Money Talk, Saturday, February 9th. A little bit later, we're going to be talking about destination retirement. Are we there yet? That is our next uh, workshop. Fantastic. We've done a couple of them. Next one is coming up on February 20th. I'm going to give you all the details on that. But here we go on National Marquette Day. Yeah. Oh, you, you wear enough Marquette stuff. I mean, what, you spend well, spend all that money, you get a T-shirt? Well, at some point in time, they do give you a shirt. But, uh, no, it's, it's uh, National Marquette Day, so for all the alum and parents, and students that are out there, congratulations. Go Marquette. Aren't you a 33% Marquette family? Uh, 66. 66. Okay, I thought yeah. you had two that went to Wisconsin. Okay, well, well okay. see, that's Marquette math for me. I mean, that's that's my whitewater <laughs> math. It's actually 66.7%. Very nice. Speaking of math, uh, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer, hello. Good morning. You got no uh, no dog in this fight, do you? Yeah, don't, don't, does Dartmouth even have a basketball team? <laughs> um, we do. In fact, we got. I think we won the national title once. Oh, is that right? Yes, but that was in the 1940s, and obviously most most good athletes were probably fighting for our fighting country. Fighting for a war, except yeah. you went to... Okay. That's right. Now, you, as a youth basketball coach, you're dealing with injuries. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you don't about ask your me. game. No, I'm not going to ask me. you. All right, guys, let's talk about the week. Yeah, so, you know, we uh, we ended up on a slightly positive 2,700 uh, in seven on the S&P 500, which was in the green, which was we would take it because it was a funky week uh, the entire week. Uh, and a lot of that had to do with the news that came regarding the China deal, Derek. Yeah, I mean, we started the, the week on a very strong note. We got to almost a 2740 on the S&P, which was up 16% from the, the low on Christmas Eve. But then things started to unravel a little bit in the mi- beginning of the week when Larry Kudlow came out and said that the U.S. and China uh, were far apart on their trade negotiations. Remember, there's a March 1st deadline looming, which, of course, could be moved. They tend to move go- the goalposts in, in negotiations of this, of this magnitude. And let me just jump in. If they don't get to an agreement on March 1st, what happens? Um, I'm not really sure. Well, the tariff, the tariffs are going to kick in. It's supposed to kick well, in yeah. from 10 to 25. Well, they might, but they might also say, well, you know what? We've made some progress. We'll move that deadline back to June 1st. And I think people will cheer on that and give, right. give people cooler heads with which to negotiate and, and cooler heads will prevail. The other thing that happened was, uh, the president and the Chinese leader do not anticipate meeting before that deadline, which caused some again to say that this is, this deadline, this deadline will not be met, that they will not conclude the negotiations in that period of time. And that just led Mark to more concerns about global growth because to the degree that there's uncertainty that causes company to hold back from hiring, spending money on capital expenditures and the rest. That's a, that's the other element of China that a lot of people aren't talking about is when you talk about the tariffs and the, and the trade, that's one dynamic of it, but the, the Chinese economy is the second largest economy in the world and you start to look at a slowdown in that economy, it has a spillover effect to Europe and other uh, regions around the world and we're starting to see that whether it's Australia or Germany 
or just the eurozone in, in general, you're starting to see some economic slowdown. There's no question. In fact, Derek, you know, so we saw a lot of consternation over Brexit, but what did we see out of Italy this week? Right. Italy is technically in a recession. They've had two consecutive quarters of, of negative GDP. Their banking system uh, remains somewhat suspect. We also saw weak data out of Germany, and we saw global growth forecasts for the EU revised downward. So the, the real challenge, Mark, in my opinion going forward, is not so much whether co- corporate fundamentals are good now. It's whether the estimates that analysts have for margins and earnings into 2019 are high or too high. Well, that's a great point, because when you get to it at the end of the day, we always talk about fundamentals, and the fundamentals of the companies or the sectors that people invest in, part of it is not only what you're doing right now in terms of revenue and earnings, but your guidance as you look forward. And if you look at companies right now, what they're saying is that there there may be slower growth in earnings as we move further into 2019. And that's impacted, of course, by things like trade and impacted by things like central banks around the world and certainly by economies around the world, because U.S. multinational companies that sell in other parts of the country are impacted by those economies. And here we are in a late cycle of our bull market, and generally when we, we see that here in the United States, Derek, we start to see that around the world as well. Yeah, I mean, the, U- the U.S. is fortunate in that 70% of our economy is driven by the consumer, so trade overseas is only about 15 to 20% of, of U.S. GDP. So in many ways, the U.S. can kind of weather weakness overseas, but eventually it does, it does have an impact. And I guess my biggest concern right now is we just snap back so quickly that I, I really believe we're going to see some consolidation in the S&P 500 in the next couple of months, barring some sort of surprise on the trade front, because the Fed is clearly not going to be a negative issue. The other thing that's interesting to me also is, remember the 10-year note, everyone said interest rates were going to rise. Well, they haven't. We've seen the 10-year yield drop from 3.25% to 2.65% at the same time that the S&P 500 advanced almost 16%. That typically does not occur unless the bond market is seeing some form of economic weakness that stock investors have yet to discount. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer at Annex Wealth Management. We've got to take a break, and I'm getting texts already that Dartmouth um, lost both their national championship games. Sorry, dude. It's, um, oh, want to tell you about um, Destination Retirement. It is our latest workshop. It's fantastic. We've had a couple that have run already. The next one happens February 20th, and it's going to happen at our Elm Grove headquarters at 127th and Bluemont. Full title is Destination Retirement. Are we there yet? This will set you up. If you've got questions, if you're beginning the process, we will walk you through it. It's uh, it's casual. Um, it's conversational. Get a great work. Workbook, and you can sign up at AnnexWealth.com. Look for that Events tab. That is in the upper right corner. Again, AnnexWealth.com. Money tips that don't cost a thing. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference, Team Tech Trust. This is Money Talk, Saturday, February 9th. Thanks for riding along with us. Uh, Dave, what's on your mind? Well, you know, it's earnings season, and when that happens, the companies start to report. And so there's always interesting stories that come out. You know, one that, that got a lot of attention this week, Mark, was the story with Amazon. Well, it certainly did. And, you know, that came out Friday mainly. But, uh, you Which know, story. Well, that's right. I mean, that's the thing. And you think about Amazon and just the size of that company and Jeff Bezos. 
obviously some personal matters there, but the fact is, is that, that it does impact the stock, and that's what we get interested in, is what happens with that, not only that company, Amazon, but companies that support companies like Amazon. Well, and we have to pay attention to Amazon, of course, because it's a large holding in, in a lot of places. Yeah, right. In our tactical position in consumer discretionary, Amazon is almost a third of the of the NAV of that particular ETF. And, and Amazon had a, had a decent quarter. Um, the margins are probably going to come down a little bit. Uh, their web services division continues to do well. When the person at the top, Dave, uh, encounters issues like this, how big of a concern is that? And I, I guess I ask is, you probably saw the news about Sonos, right? Mm-hmm. Sonos is a fantastic company, makes great audio gear. Um, their CEO is retiring, and the stock took a dive. Well, when you when you look at companies, you not you don't just look at just the numbers. You look at the management, and you look at how it is, you know, corporate governance and things of that nature. So people are a big part of what this is. This isn't just a computer. And so when the CEO or the boards of directors or the corporate governance, the board of directors aren't doing their job, it does have an effect on all of those companies, Mark. Well, look at Tesla. I mean, we had that same problem about three, four months ago when Elon Musk had his problems with the SEC, and, and you know, you looked at the depth of the bench. You looked at what their management team looked like, and people were envisioning a Tesla without Elon Musk, and what happened to that stock over that period of time? Well, of course, and it, and it certainly hit that. But you know, we look at, and again, let's go back to the math a second. We, we do know that management has a large effect on the valuation of a security. But you know, there's been so much talk this week, Derek, about you know, share buybacks and, and the like. You know, and I think we're going to have to start focusing on the growth because you know, there's things that people can do with share prices uh, in the boardroom. Right, and, and, the, and, that's, and that's something we, I kind of alluded to in the first segment. Uh, you know, in order for the S&P 500 to have a good 2019, we're going to have to see revenue growth because revenue growth can't be manufactured it can't be a result of you know aggressive accounting tactics earnings certainly can be impacted that way and one of the ways you impact earnings is through share buybacks by reducing the share count and effectively reducing the PE on a company uh, and the buybacks are we expect them to continue this year I'm hearing estimates of 700 to 800 billion mark in buybacks down from about a trillion last year and that of course is you know is good for shareholders but it doesn't necessarily improve the economic prospects of the company I think that's the important thing for listeners is when you start hearing things like somebody's buying back their shares, is that good for me? If I own that particular company or I'm in that sector, is that a good thing for me or is that a bad thing for me? You talk about companies going public and then private and, and, and an activity like that, that that kind of sparks your ear a little bit and you start to think about, you know, is this how does this impact my portfolio? And at the end of the day, Dave, that's really the question you should be asking yourself if, is, what do you do with this news? If you are a shareholder, it is good and you can understand if again, back to the boardroom, if you're sitting around saying we can go out and borrow at a certain interest rate and buy our stock back, that for sure is going to help out the share price, and that's what their job is to do. And so you can go out and say, I understand why that is happening. But you have to say, in in the long run, if you're not growing your sales and the share price is going up just because there are less shares, that's right. is that the long-term prospect of the well, company? And that's been the case with IBM for years. IBM hasn't grown at all, but these they've consistently done share buybacks, which essentially has helped support the stock, even though it's been a nowhere company in terms of fundamentals. Um, the, other, the other thing I'd point out is one of the key factors that we look at when we look at our equity income strategy is something called free cash flow yield, which is basically the amount of cash you have left over after you've paid taxes and the like. And we like to focus on that metric because that's the one that enables you to buy you know buy back shares or 
you know, increase your dividend or hire people. And it tends to be a very good predictor of corporate success. And by the way, we don't just do that with individual securities. Uh, we do that in other places as well. No, absolutely. We apply the same metrics, not just that metric, but other metrics, valuation metrics, earnings, momentum metrics, and the like, uh, to the ETS we purchase. We basically assess the underlying holdings. We weight them according to the factor scores that we attribute to them. And that helps us choose between ETFs because there are more ETFs, Mark, now than there are individually traded companies. And Mark, you know, if you're listening to this right now and you're saying, boy, what should I do with my portfolio? I'm not sure that I know what the free cash flow yield of my securities are. Well, and for a lot of people, I mean, they're, they're living their lives. They're going about doing the things that they do. If you want some help with this, we do that free portfolio review. Come on in. Let us look at your statement. Analyze what you have. Do that x-ray. It's really important. In a lot of cases, it's very eye-opening. Understanding what you own is the first step in building your financial plan. If you'd like to take advantage of that, go to our website at AnnexWealth.com. Hit the Get Started button. Yep, you can do that uh, today, right now at 1022. Yes, you can. Our locations, we've got a bunch, Elm Grove, Mequon, Lake Country, Appleton. Our newest branch is downtown at the Fister. Though I should mention, in Appleton, we've got a brand new office on Enterprise Avenue there. It's fantastic. And also, Annex Everywhere. If you can hear this radio station, we can use simple screen share technology to uh, to talk with you. It's super easy, very, very secure. Again, you can start at AnnexWealth.com. From simple investments to stock advice, back to Money Talk with James Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? It is team, tech, and trust. Here's a great example of the Annex team, our Women, Wealth, and Wisdom group with a new workshop, Leaving a Legacy, Estate Planning Essentials, involves members of our financial planning team and our estate planning team. Deanne Phillips is here to talk about it. Hey, Deanne. Hey, Danny. Leaving a legacy. How do you define that? Well, a lot of times when people think about estate planning, they're thinking about the documents they get together for after they're gone. After, as we put it at Annex, they've successfully completed their retirement, right? But really, a legacy can be a living legacy. It's, it is when we're gone how we want to be remembered, but it's also what we can set up right now to ensure that our principles and values are put in place while we're still alive. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean naming buildings after? somebody or scholarships or, or what? Well, it, it could be a scholarship, sure. And, uh, it could be as simple as, you know, when my dad passed, I just wanted to donate a chair in a theater and, and a music auditorium in his name because he was such a musician. It could just be, you know, very simple and a one-time gift. It could be setting up a small family foundation um, through a, an already organized entity where you are teaching multi-generations about the family values and what's important to you and what you want to pass on. Well, I'll tell you my personal story, and you were involved with it, you work with my dad before he passed right. when he was a client at Annex. And at the end, when you talked all about the retirement stuff and setting him up, you said, okay, Oli, what is it that you want to do? And he thought and he thought he established a scholarship in this little town in Montana in his parents' name for kids that are going into education. And now we're coming up on the second round of scholarships. So that's the kind of legacy. In the case of your dad, what was cool is he got to read the thank you cards and how the scholarship impacted these kids' lives while he was alive. They even said that he could vote on the winners if he wanted to. So that kind of involvement can be very fulfilling in life. And it also teaches future generations about, again, your values and what's important. Hey, where in the financial planning process does legacy planning take place? See, I think it could take place anytime. I think it can start very early. I mean, when my daughter was um, just four years old, we had the four-part piggy bank, spend, donate, invest, 
and save, but the donate was what was really important. I told her that for every of her little quarter she put in there, I would double it, and then at the end of when it was filled, she would take it and dump it into a, a plastic bag, and then we would pick a charity that we could go to. So, for example, she picked the Humane Society. We went there, and the volunteer stood around the wishing well while she, for, little four-year-old Cara, dumped her coins out, and they all applauded. They followed up with a letter to her saying, thank you so much. The puppies and kittens are so happy for your donation today. She got to tour the facility. It was a very good and positive donation feeling. And that's really about what can we do now to make a difference while we're alive? That's the living legacy. We're talking about women, wealth, and wisdom put on by Annex Wealth Management and leaving a legacy, which is coming up, estate planning essentials. It sounds like it could be complex. You talk about trusts and foundations and things. It does. So we are going to talk about the basics. We're going to talk about differences between wills and trusts and why you need both if you're going to have a trust and how they differentiate. We're going to talk about some of the mistakes that happen, too, if we fail to estate plan. And that's really making sure our paperwork's in place and our beneficiary designations are in place. So we'll talk about those health care and financial powers of attorney, what they mean, why we need them. Um, again, the differences in wills and trusts, but also kind of what we can do to make sure that it's the way we want it to now while we're alive and that our assets go the way we want them to. Jill Martin, our estate planning attorney, is also in on this. And you guys tag team, and I think you just kind of said what it is that she does. She does the legal part. She does. So she's an attorney. We used to work together in our former lives. She's wonderful, very knowledgeable in all of this. And she she does the legal education here through Annex Wealth Management, so we're a great team to be able to deal with topics like this one. Leaving a legacy of state planning essentials. When is this happening? So, Danny, this is taking place on Thursday, February 21st in our Annex Elm Grove headquarters from 6 to 8 p.m. These workshops, the Women, Wealth, and Wisdom, really do fill up, so we do ask that you sign up and register. They're free, but please go to our website, AnnexWealth.com, under the Event tab. Find it, the Women, Wealth, and Wisdom Leaving a Legacy, Estate Planning Essentials. Grab a gal pal. You can bring a friend or two. We always know it's much more fun when we're in good company. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you for joining us on Money Talk and WTMJ. Pleasure to be here. You know, and when you look at our events tab, it's getting busier and busier because we really do like to provide Tons of education for both our clients and then people that might want to uh, be partners with us. Destination Retirement is happening February 20th uh, at our Elm Grove office. And then Deanne just talking about leaving a legacy. That happens on the 21st. One other thing I want to mention is a lunch and learn with our CEO, Dave Spano, and Chief Investment Officer Derek Felsky. That is a daytime thing at the Mason Street Grill downtown inside the Fister, which is where our newest branch is. You can get more details on that. That's pretty spectacular and a pretty special thing and again annexwealth.com look at the events tab get professional help with your portfolio this is money talk with dave spano and mark oswald on wtmj team tech trust it's money talk annex wealth management time for ask annex here on national marquette day you, any you guys going to the game um, I'm not. My daughter's going. She's got of her uh, student ticket, of course, and my son's up from Chicago with his crew, and I'm uh, trying to stay away from those guys, I think, because... Uh, you can't the, hang with them the, anymore. No, probably. they'll be celebrating a little bit uh, college style. That's right. All right. Um, we're open for questions at AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask Annex section. Our first one is from Carl. 
What are the beaten down sectors or regions that have the greatest upside potential? You know, one of the things that we show our clients and, and prospective clients is what they call the Callan table of asset class returns. And what you see in that is from year to year, it's very hard to see any kind of pattern between what sectors or what asset classes work. Last year, basically no asset classes worked with the exception of cash. But when I think about last year, what was beaten down that has really good prospects going forward, the first thing I think about is emerging markets. Now, one one factor to be aware of, though, is those markets are negatively impacted if the dollar remains strong because you're buying those stocks and local currencies. But emerging markets are very cheap. Uh, they have faster growth trajectories in the developed world, not just the U.S., but also the EU and China. And I think that's just an area that, that might have, offer some opportunity. And you, we tend to go active in that area. You know, Derek, you know, there's these 11 sectors, and you look across the total earnings, and obviously we've covered this before on this radio show, but the total earnings expectation for 2019 is relatively flat from where it was in 2018. So you have to say, where is the growth going to come from? Well, and or the, the, the surprises, right. the, the positive guidance. And one area that I've really never used much tactically is the industrial area, because those are companies like Boeing and 3M. Uh, some of the defense companies are actually included in that category as well. And they, they t would tend to do very well if we, if we end up with a, a world where there are lower tariffs across the board. And so last year we had a 20, nearly 23% earnings increase. And what are the expectations for 2019? Well, as I mentioned earlier, we were looking for 7% in September. Now the most recent number I saw was 5%, but I think that number is even lower still. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if we didn't have a year where basically the stock market trades not on earnings but on expectations for earnings in 2020. So let's try to get to another one, Danny. How about Okay, it? this one comes from Doug. Um, are we in a Goldilocks period with the Fed? And could you set that up just for me? No, no that's that's a question for yeah. Mark. And when he yeah. talks to Goldilocks and... Uh, yeah, and the three little bears. Yeah, three little, three yeah, little for pigs, sure. I think. Yeah. No, that's Little Red Riding Hood. Anyways, when you start talking about Goldilocks, what you're talking about is not too hot, not too cold, right? When everything's just bright. And when you start to think about the Fed and the economy, you say, are you running too hot? Are you running too cold? Or can you get it just right, right in the middle? And, and, and the Fed's done a good job. I mean, they've, they've done a good job with managing the financial crisis from 2008 to today. They brought rates down to historical lows, down to zero, and now slowly we've moved back up to two and a quarter to two and a half percent. And the question is, is that number the right number right now? Historically, it would be low, but it may be that that's the new normal. Maybe that's where that number is right now. The economy seems to be doing pretty well. Employment's great. 304,000 jobs last month alone, and we don't have runaway inflation, so, so, so far, the Fed's got it right. So that's Goldilocks-ish. Yeah, and it's a moving target. That's okay. the thing. And when we talk about data dependent, that's what we're saying. As we get new data, what is the right number? How do we keep that Goldilocks environment going? Well, and I, and I guess you know people can take issue with that because you say, you know, where do we go from here? They were trying to raise interest rates, so they had an arrow in their quiver. Right. If we go back into recession, because you know where do you go from this point? You can't go down much farther. But there's the other side of the argument, and the that other side of the argument is, we have more than twenty trillion dollars in debt, and that interest rate is paying. Uh, part of that debt. And so if you get to a point where interest rates start going up, the percentage on that debt becomes 
unsustainable, frankly. Absolutely. And, well, and that's the problem with it, of course. And you, we've got the balance sheet issue as well, where we moved to $4.5 trillion worth of debt on the federal balance sheet, and we're rolling some of those bonds off as they mature. So even though you don't see rates going up right now, it doesn't mean that the Fed's not controlling some aspects of monetary policy. And, and Derek, I mean, you could crowd out parts of discretionary spending if the interest on the debt continues to rise. Yeah, I think my, my biggest concern going forward, not this year necessarily, but down the road, is, is just in debt generally, not just government, but also corporate. Corporate debt is, has gone up a, a considerable amount. In fact, m- many of the stock buybacks that we talked about earlier were basically funded by the ability of a company to issue 1% 20-year, 30-year bonds and use that to buy back their shares, which for them was a really strong financial decision. And remember, bubbles have burst because of debt, and we've seen it before in the history of this country. Yeah, you always run into situations where we have bubbles, whether it's the housing bubble or the Internet bubble or the tech bubble. There are always things that are going on in the economy. That's why you're diversified. That's why if you're a smart investor, you're having that review of your portfolio. You're always looking at risk. You're always looking at what you own and why you own it in light of your risk. If you haven't had that portfolio review done, now would be an excellent time. It would be an excellent time, and you can do that at AnnexWealth.com. Just click that Get Started button. The first stop will be our planning team, and they go through your stuff. Uh, Coming up next, we're going to talk to a couple of the guys in the planning team, and you just see the way their mind works. They're just thinkers, and what if we did this, and what if we did that? This one is going to be about HSAs, Healthcare Savings Account. Why are they triply great? That's next on Money Talk on WTMJ. Time is money. Make the most of yours with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference at Annex Wealth Management? It's Team Tech Trust. HSAs or healthcare savings accounts are powerful tools when properly used within a financial plan. So we're going to cover what they do, how they do it, and hear a real life example from an Annex teammate. Joining me, Randy Winkler, Manager of Financial Planning and a CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Matt Morsey, CFP and Investment Management Specialist at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back, Randy. Happy to be here, Danny. And Matt, good to have you here. Hey, Danny. Hey, Randy, let's start off easy. Define an HSA. We're talking about a uh, healthcare savings account. Whether you have the ability to have one or not depends on the type of insurance you have. So if you have a high deductible healthcare plan, uh, which means that you've got a deductible for of thirteen fifty if you're an individual or twenty seven hundred for a couple, you have an, uh, the opportunity to open a health savings account. Isn't that where most of them are now? A lot of times you have a choice. A lot of companies will switch insurance companies on a yearly basis, and they give you a couple of choices. You can take the plan that's cheapest to you from a premium standpoint, but more expensive from a deductible standpoint, the high deductible plan. They give you the incentive of having the HSA, and there's some tax advantages we'll talk about in a little bit. Or what a lot of people go with is they give me the uh, lowest deductible possible, but then they have the highest premium. Matt, we've also heard of things called an FSA. What's the difference between an HSA and an FSA? FSA is a flexible savings account, and they're very, very similar. Two main differences. One is how much money can you put in them. On a yearly basis, an HSA has a higher limit that you could put into it, um, up to $7,000 for a married couple, 3500 individual. An FSA is $2,700 per person is the maximum. So you could put less money into the FSA, 
The other difference is the FSA is a use it or lose it type plan. You have to use it that year, and there's usually some spillover time into the beginning of the new year that you're able to use that money. But if you don't use all of it, it's gone. Whereas an HSA, that money's yours. You can have that forever, and you have many, many options of what you could do with it, but you don't have the, the lose it portion of that. Randy, you've described HSAs as having triple tax advantage. What does that mean? Yeah, these are great. They're probably my favorite kind of account. So the money goes into it uh, tax-free, it grows tax-free, and can be withdrawn tax-free if it's used for medical expenses. So it's the only type of account out there currently that has the all three. There are a lot of accounts that have two, but not the accounts that have all three different uh, tax advantages. So Matt, if somebody has an HSA, where does it fit in a well-crafted financial plan? There's a lot of different ways to use it. Primarily, you're looking at it as what is the best way if we have health insurance expenses? What's the best tax-efficient way to be able to, to pay those off? For other people, it's an emergency fund for health insurance purposes. Whether you're going to have that issue this year or 10 years later, that it's a pool of money that you can access to pay those bills that you're not going to be paying out of pocket that's going to affect your spending at that point in time. Both you guys, I think, operate the HSAs at a fairly high level. Randy, what is your method? Well, my method is evolving. Uh, one thing I love about working at Annex is we learn things new every day. And I've had some very in-depth conversations with Matt, and he's kind of swayed me over to his way of thinking. So I'm kind of straddling two different strategies. So my HSA, I've got it in a bank account, and I'm using it to pay some current bills. So I've had some surgery in years past. I set up payment arrangements. I've got bill pay, so there's 50 bucks or 100 bucks a month going out. That one, I'm getting advantage of the tax-free money going in and coming out, but I'm not really taking advantage of the tax-free growth. Now, for my wife's HSA, and this is the new part of the strategy, that's invested. That's some long-term money. We're not using that. We've got it in the market. We're thinking of it long-term, so we're, we're okay with the volatility that's there. And then on a case-by-case -case basis, a bill-by-bill -bill basis, I take a look at, do I want to pay for this out of my HSA, the cash HSA, or maybe pay for it out of current cash flow, or maybe even a credit card to get some points or miles? Matt, how do you work yours? Uh, very similar, but we use one account to do all of that. So we have our HSA through my wife's insurance at, at her work, and there's two components to it. There's a cash savings portion of it, and then there's an investment portion of it. So the rule we kind of have is that the first $2,000 in it is basically in a bank account earning almost nothing. That's kind of that emergency portion for us. And then anything above that gets automatically invested and then is in the market then. So that's kind of where I would view longer term big expenses with the kids, big expenses for us as we get older, but we allow that to grow. But we keep 2000 in the checking portion, earning very little interest, but it's also very, very stable, doesn't go down. So that money we can access whenever we need. Speaking of the kids, you just had to spend some. Yeah, definitely. So uh, last weekend, we ended up having to take our 15-month-old daughter to the ER in the middle of the night. So we haven't gotten the bill yet, but we know it's going to be very, very expensive. And as we're sitting there at about 3.30 in the morning, my wife looks at me and goes, she's like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, why? And I'm thinking she's going to say, because we're up in the middle of the night, or I had a big day the next day that I wanted some sleep for. But she's like, this is going to be really expensive. And I said, oh, no, don't worry. We have this HSA account. This is for years and years that we've been saving this. This is the, every single time where I go, why are we saving money that we're not using? This is that example. It is all about putting the right pieces in place in a great financial plan. That is a big part of what we do at Annex Wealth Management. If you're not working with us, you can get started today at AnnexWealth.com. Randy Winkler and Matt Morsey, thanks for coming in today. Oh, we're happy to be here. Thank you very much, Danny. Don't settle for less. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ.
Well, the difference, Team Tech Trust, it's Money Talk Annex Wealth Management. I'm Danny Clayton. Mark Oswald is here. Derek Felsky and Dave Spano. A bonus text question. I just love this guy. He's very efficient. Okay, how do you manage risk? And there's a lot of ways to do that, and thank you for the question. But you know, one is, uh, is portfolio construction, and we will get to that. But let's just start with the very first step, and that is having an emergency fund, Mark. And uh, a lot of Americans do not have them. Well, they don't, and, and a lot of people just learned a very, very valuable lesson, those 800,000 federal workers that you know didn't have a paycheck for a couple of pay periods and you have to ask yourself are you prepared for that because the mortgage still comes due the car payments still have to be made maybe you're making tuition payments you get the point i mean life goes on and you have to be able to pay those bills so we recommend six to twelve months of expenses that you put that away it's not dissimilar dave to the bucket strategy we've talked about before on the air is talking about short-term money and then intermediate term money and long-term money if your short-term money is not volatile you don't you don't end up selling things that you don't want to sell to create cash to pay everyday expenses. And and Derek, you know, the other answer of course is portfolio construction and when you when we have portfolio construction conversations, we try to manage risk with returns. Yeah, so in, implicit in the way we build our models, I'm not going to go into the arcane details, but but basically what we do is we form expectations about what we expect future returns in the various asset classes to be, how those asset classes correlate with each other. So it's a derivation of what the financial uh, finance uh, professors call modern portfolio theory, but we try to make it more forward-looking. So, for example, one advisor may continue to recommend an allocation between U.S. stocks and fixed income and just continue to rebalance to that no matter what. In our case, we're going to do we're going to rebalance, but we're going to rebalance based on what we think the relative valuations between those two asset classes are. So, so it's not on a calendar basis, and we've seen a lot of investors do that. Come the end of the quarter, come heck or high water, they're going to do that. We don't think that's the right answer. No, you do it when the opportunities present itself, and when when you're basically able to hit a fat pitch. And and some you know last December we had some, there were some pretty fat pitches available as the market was going down and the fundamentals weren't deteriorating as rapidly. But that's you know the essence of it. So when when we build portfolio is we try to maximize the risk-adjusted return of what we expect the portfolio to yield going into the future. And so, Mark, you know, we talk about hiring a financial advisor and what the things that they're supposed to do. And asset allocation is clearly one of them. Rebalancing is one of them. But it's more than that. You have to, you know, you should ask the questions to a financial advisor, like what is your philosophy, what is your process, and who are the people on your team? Well, for sure. And, and when we're talking about asset allocation, we're talking about shades of gray in a lot of cases because we don't advocate the all in, all out type of a a philosophy either. There's people out there that I've run into in my career that are either in the market or out of the market, and they're always in or out at the wrong time, it seems to me, when you look back and, and, and look at things. So when we're talking about uh, asset allocation, you're looking at gradients. You're looking at bringing your score down a little bit, creating some cash perhaps for that opportunity that does come. But that's the asset allocation part and the investment part of it, Dave. The other parts of it are the financial planning piece and how does that investment fit into where you're trying to get as a family. I mean, if you have financial goals, what have you done to prepare for them? How do you manage the risk to make sure that you get where you're trying to go? And again, process and people, I think, are important as well, Derek. You know, the people that we have on the team, there's, they're, they're a talented group, and we all get in a room, and we, we hash it out. We do, and it's a, it's a discipline, really, more than anything else, because, you know, things are constantly changing. People have biases. I, for example, ran a tech fund a long time ago, so I, you know, tend to li- enjoy researching technology companies, but there are times in the cycle when you just don't want to own 
a tech stock no matter what. And you really need to look at, say, a basic materials company or a healthcare company. So with with all the experience we have in the room, all the ability to, to churn numbers, all of our great research partners, I think our investment product at Annex is, is very good and, and complements the other specialties very well. You know, and the markets move fast. And when that happens, it's very difficult to, to time the market because you have to be right twice. Well, that's for sure. And, and you know, when you, we have these spirited conversations in our investment committee about what we want to own, but we're doing it here. That's the other thing is that we don't have to get an advisory council that's in Sydney, Australia, or New York City, or Kansas City, or San Francisco to say, what are we going to do in our client portfolios? These are people that can sit down with our clients, bring them into a conference room, and say, this is what you own in your portfolio. This is what our thinking is. This is why we're building your portfolio the way that we've built it. That's powerful and valuable stuff is to be able to do that. But the market timing piece, Dave, almost never works out because, as you said, you have to be right on when to get out. You have to be right about when to get back in, and that's a difficult call. And so if you're listening to this and you say, and we'd suggest the takeaway would be what? It certainly would be to look again at your own portfolio. December was tough for a lot of people. When you got your 1231 statement and the markets did what the markets did to a lot of people, they're looking at where they were in September and where they were in December. Now we've had a really good January and a good start to February. If that ride was uncomfortable for you for whatever reason, take a look at your risk tolerance again. Sit down with a qualified unbiased fiduciary financial advisor and go through the process of looking at your portfolio and asking yourself how is it getting you to where you want to get to in your financial plan that's the powerful takeaway for today enjoy your saturday enjoy national marquette day advice and opinions expressed during money talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of annex wealth management and not wtmj radio or good karma brands milwaukee llc